welcome friends, fans, and colleagues to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Uh, I am your hostess, uh, Karen Tate, and I'm so glad to be here with you today uh, on this unusual day for a show. Uh, probably like most of you, uh, life has um, been shifted and altered a little bit. Uh, I'm no exception here. Uh, we generally would do the show on Wednesdays, uh, Wednesday morning actually. I had shifted things to, uh, to accommodate a lot of our guests who call in from, um, from Europe. But um, as I said, you know, things have changed. Um, we have uh, some tele-rehab happening at our house. Uh, during the day, during the week. So uh, at least for the month of April and uh, maybe into May, um, if you've been following the show, uh, you will find that uh, most of... uh, you know, my offerings now, most of the interviews, are going to be on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday for a while. Yeah. And who knows? We may find out that uh, this works better. We'll see. Um, Let me know about that, uh, because when I do have the option to go back to Wednesday, if it looks like it's actually more convenient for people on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, we may stick with this. And, um, you know, I kind of think that's just... uh, you know, kind of indicative of how our lives may be moving forward. You know, all of these things that feel like changes, that feel like inconveniences, uh, we may find that they are actually gifts. So, um, you know, let us uh, most definitely be uh, open to that idea as we, uh, you know, try to be liquid. You know, we try to be fluid and uh, and uh, don't resist the change. You know, we kind of go on this ride as an adventure uh, rather than, you know, in white-knuckled fear. Uh, because on the other side of this, uh, things may actually be quite good, even better. Um, I know this might sound crazy to some of you, uh, but I have uh, taken to uh, calling the pandemic out there, pandemia. And uh, I, I can't help but think that this is all for a reason that is going to help uh, eman- humanity evolve uh, in a positive way. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what that looks like. Uh, but I almost liken it to uh, the goddess Kali, you know, the goddess of uh, destruction and creation. Uh, what needs to be torn down so something new can uh, be rebuilt in its place, something, re- uh, something better can be built in its place. So anyway, uh, that's where my head has been lately, um, and uh, that's not to, uh, you know, be light about the collateral damage of the people that are sick or suffering. Uh, I don't mean that by any stretch of the imagination. That is, that is tragic. That is, that is tragic indeed. Uh, but, uh, you know, we have to stay positive and, you um, uh, you know, I believe, uh, you know, that good will come from this. Uh, we just have to wait and see what that looks like on the other side. So uh, thank you for being with me uh, this Sunday. Um, I have a great show for you, uh, a popular topic that I haven't uh, covered for, for a while now. Uh, it, the topic is uh, Reclaiming Lilith, Reclaiming Ourselves. Uh, and I have with me as my guest, uh, Monette Chilson. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about her uh, before we start uh, our interview. Uh, she is the author of Original Resistance, Reclaiming Lilith, Reclaiming Ourselves, uh, which is an anthology uh, you might want to try to get your hands on. Uh, she's also authored My Name is Lilith and Sophia Rising, Awakening Your Sacred Wisdom Through Yoga. She writes about God and the feminine and uh, the feminine in God. She speaks to groups, big and small, in both lecture and workshop settings. Uh, she's written for publications including Yoga Journal, Integral Yoga Magazine, uh, and Elephant Journal, and she's contributed to numerous anthologies, most recently Yoga Wisdom, Warrior Tales, Inspiring You on and Off the Mat, and Whatever Works, Feminists of Faith Speak. Uh, She was awarded an Illumination Book Award Gold Medal, as well as uh, a Hoffer Small Press and First Horizon Awards. 
Uh, you can find her on Twitter and Instagram, and her handle is uh, at Monette Chilson, her name, M-O-N-E-T-T-E-C-H-I-L-S-O-N, or you can go to her website, which is also her name, uh, com. So, Monette, uh, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you, Karen. Well, I'm so glad to have you with me today. Uh, you know, I think this is uh, a, a, a hot topic always, uh, maybe even more right now. And uh, we're going to get into uh, what lessons we have from Lilith, uh, particularly for today and what we're going through. But, you know, let's, let's just start at the beginning. You know, we often have a lot of new listeners, uh, sometimes uh, maybe even old listeners, um, you know, that they benefit fit from new perspectives. So let's start at the beginning with um, who Lilith is. Um, I know most of us have grown up with the, uh, you know, if we come from a Judeo-Christian background that, you know, she's a demon, she's a succubus, you know, she didn't want to obey Adam. Um, you know, what's your take on that? Is all of that metaphor, is all of that patriarchy, you know, how do we separate um, at least what we can glean uh, as truth versus propaganda. Well, all the work I've done on Lilith is truly a reclaiming of the story in a positive light, kind of like um, what you see when you see books rewritten that look at the villain and what the villain actually did. We kind of deconstruct Lilith, and the first book I wrote was for children, so it told the story in a very simple way, and really we just looked at who Lilith was, and of course this is a very, very ancient myth, so it's not like you can look at, you know, evidence and um, facts and writings. It's a lot of lore and stories that were handed down and fables. And the thing about Lilith that I find so interesting is she is not constricted to just one tradition or one region of the world. Really, Lilith or Lilith-like characters emerge all over. Um, but the core, I think the strongest uh, place where we see Lilith is in the Judeo tradition, in the Jewish tradition, um, and it's just fascinating to me because it's kind of like the real Lilith was hidden right in front of us and we didn't see her. And when I kind of talk to people who don't know who Lilith is and explain that uh, the rabbis, when they looked at Genesis, their job in the Midrashic tradition was to explain the inconsistencies and they looked at Genesis and they saw that it started with man and woman were created from the earth. And then it goes on, you know, a few verses later to say woman was taken from man's rib. And they had to reconcile those for the people in their synagogue. And what they said was, oh, the first woman was Lilith. She did not submit. She would not uh, sacrifice her full personhood to Adam, so she was sent from the garden. She was banished. And then God had to start over, and the second woman was Eve. And I just think that's such a fascinating, interesting way to explain that. Um, and then when you really look at what little we know of the story, uh, Lilith really didn't do anything that deserved demonization. You know, she just said, no, I, you know, I have my own self and I want to do this together like God said at the beginning. That's all she did. But for that, she's demonized. Well, um, but think about it. You know, now, uh, you know, we feminists who have the courage to uh, rethink and challenge, um, and I'm speaking for myself when I say I'm a feminist. I don't know if you claim that label or not, but what better way for male leadership who wants to dominate uh, to create a myth that says to women, 
um, you know, it, it, it's saying right there what your role is, submission. You know, not equality, um, but submission. So, you know, here you had the, you know, the sexism, the misogyny, the inequality uh, built into the myth uh, for the benefit of um, a male-dominated patriarchal society. Yes. When people ask me, you know, why haven't I heard of Lilith? That's why. Because her existence didn't serve what the patriarchy was trying to create at that point. And patriarchy, you know, big word, but really it was men telling the story and men creating the narrative for religions and for culture. And to keep it the way they envisioned it, it didn't work to have women like Lilith. It worked to have women like Eve. Well, and, and it makes me think of two, two separate, uh, you know, kind of a two-pronged response. First, I'm thinking about, um, uh, you know, Astarte, uh, Inanna, Queen of Heaven, you know, the, you know, in, uh, you know, Judeo, you know, the times of the, of the Jews and, you know, Canaanites and, uh, you know, way back then, when the women were baking cakes to the Queen of Heaven, um, it seems like they had, a, you know, a little bit of backbone and spine then because, you know, they were saying to the men, no, we're not going to, uh, you know, stop baking our cakes to the Queen of Heaven. Uh, and, you know, Astarte, uh, Inanna, you know, she was, uh, you know, a, a part of things. Uh, you know, at one point until she wasn't anymore. And it makes me also think of the Egyptian goddess Sekhmet, the only written um, fable, stories, mythology, whatever you want to call it, about her is, you know, this, um, you know, like she, she's potentially, uh, you know, she's almost this wanton killer. She's dangerous. She's a mercenary for her father, Ra. And I think whether we're talking Lilith or we're talking, um, you know, Sekhmet, uh, it feels like to me we're not getting the original story, you know, of who these goddesses were in, in, in their most authentic selves. You know, they've been already chipped away at by the patriarchy. You know, with Sekhmet, I think that was the patriarchy saying, you know, to, uh, you know, to society, well, you can't trust women's power, you know, maybe even to women themselves. You know, you need to be tamed. You need to submit. You can't trust your own power, you know. Um, and, and I don't know, I guess, uh, you know, we haven't found everything. I mean, look, the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, were found not that long ago. Uh, they talk about so much is still hidden under the sands uh, in the Middle East. You know, one day we may find the original stories of who Lilith was to begin with, who Sekhmet was mm -hmm. to begin with. Um, I don't know. That's just my thoughts. I, I just think these stories that we have now that we're working with or distortions, and maybe that's why you feel it's so important to revision her and reclaim her, right? Absolutely. I think it is such a loss, even to women who don't recognize it as a loss, that there are no stories with strong female archetypes that we can lean into when we need that strength. Um, you know, when you look at the option we've been given of the world's first woman, Eve, um, when you look at the fact that the myth goes, and this isn't, um, this isn't to demonize Eve, because really it's to demonize the way she was portrayed and shamed in that story, that reaching for something that she desired caused the world to fall apart. So what does that tell a little girl who's listening for that sto to that story when, you know, in those formative years, you reach for what you want and you better be careful because it's all, you're going to topple everything. Um, and that's a scary thought to plant in a, you know, a girl's heart. 
Well, um, and, and if I can translate that into maybe modern vernacular, if you will, um, how many mothers uh, have told their daughters, don't be too smart, boys won't like you, <laughs> don't be too loud, you know, don't be too successful, you know, men, you know, you won't get a husband kind of a thing. Um, I, I, I almost feel like those are maybe modern examples of that uh, of that myth, yes? Absolutely. And I think that's why um, I've been so blessed to be a part of um, the Girl God publishing group. Trista, you've had on many times before. Uh, because Trista's whole premise, when she started it, her very first book she published was called The Girl God. And it was to begin with little girls to plant the seed that. God is in them too, and they are in God too, and that it is even okay to say goddess. I mean, it, the book she's done, I just love the, um, the pattern she's, she's followed because she's had someone write a children's book, like the book I wrote before this was My Name is Lilith. It's a picture book. It's got, you know, a few lines on each page and beautiful illustrations. But it's to start to tell that story so that little girls can start to absorb that truth about themselves and not have to relearn it later. And she's done the same thing with not just religious myths, but one of the first books in that series she did was My Name is Medusa. You know, everyone, prototypical, scary woman is Medusa. And she um, was able to, she, I forget who wrote that one for her. It wasn't her um but to reclaim that story and that fierceness and to make snakes not so scary but wise. Um, so I think it's lovely to talk to the little girls first and the children and then to be able to follow that up like we did with Original Resistance with an anthology that speaks to women and men um, about the experiences with Lilith, of women from all over the world. Our anthology has, I think, 45 different contributors from all over the world. And it's just so much fun to hear um, the joy, the anger, the fire, the rage, the, all the feelings um, in poetry and prose and art. It, it was just a joy to edit that. Yeah, I, I, I think it is uh, so important. You know, one of the things that I've talked about a lot, I even gave a talk at the um, Council for the Parliament of World Religions when it was in Utah that year a while back, about reclaiming our sacred stories and actually giving ourselves permission to rewrite these old patriarchal myths, you know, uh, to put a, a spin on it that uh, that serves women, you know. Um, and, and, I mean, and, and some people might say, well, who gives us the right to do that? Well, I mean, the people who wrote the patriarchal myths, the, uh, you know, the propaganda to prop up men and make women submit, I don't know where there was anybody asking these guys, um, you know, who gave them permission. Uh, you know, I, I, I think it's really important that, you know, we um, claim our own own sovereignty and autonomy and say, uh, you know, we're going to rethink this. You know, we're going to rewrite this uh, because this is not uh, the seeds we want to have planted that, uh, you know, this isn't what we want to sprout uh, out there in the world. I mean, I think about Mary, too, and Eve, you know, in a way both of these um, figures from Judeo-Christian myth, um, you know, it, it's almost as if they're too nice, you know, um, and, uh, it, you know, it, it, and, it, and it, look, not that I'm against nice, but, but they're benign, you know, they, they're um, passive. And, and when I think of Mary, for instance, um, I think of her as a social justice warrior because I would imagine if Jesus was real and if Mary was real, um, Mary was living under the boot of, of Rome. You know, their boot was on her neck. And if Jesus learned his social justice um, 
you know, ideas, it was probably at the knee of, uh, of Mary. You know, no wonder he comes out and he doesn't discriminate against women and he's for the poor and he has all these values uh, that we would recognize uh, as the feminine. But I think she's another one who, you know, got caught up in this, you know, patriarchal web of diminishing the feminine. I mean, look, she can't be sexual. Uh, you know, uh, you know, she has to have an immaculate conception, for heaven's sake. Um, and you know, and then she do, it doesn't even get her just due. You know, they won't name her, uh, even though she can birth a god. She is not a goddess. You know, I mean, it's kind of the ultimate short shrift, if you will, you know. But I guess what would you expect in a patriarchal religion? Right, right. I I really think um, you hit the nail on the head when you were talking about the hesitancy that women have to dare to rewrite these stories. It's like we're waiting for our priest or our rabbi or some man at the pulpit to write us um, a permission slip and we need to remember that we don't need a permission slip God put you know God, Goddess, the Divine put a knowing and a spark inside of us and all we have to do which is really easy to do in this day and age when we you know, are isolated and locked up is sit and be still and we'll know how to interpret the story. We'll know what the myth has for us. Uh, we don't have to have um, someone interpret it for us. And if something doesn't sound true and right to us, then it's not true and right to us, for us. We get to interpret and um, have the divine speak directly to us. Well, it, yes, I'm, and I'm so glad you said that because uh, I, I think it's so important to say if men can be divinely inspired, so can women, you know, and, and that sort of takes me back to the anthology uh, again. Um, I, I wonder for you, Monette, um, can you remember of, from all of these wonderful different essays in the anthology, is there maybe one or two things that jumped out at you that was something new or fresh or poignant um, that you feel like, you know, you maybe want to uh, highlight for listeners? Oh, Gosh, Karen, I just picked it up, and I'm starting to flip through it to see what jumps out at me. Um, I guess if I had to say a thread, and they're also very different. Um, I think it's a coming back to oneself, um, to a part of us that was lost. And the way the different writers approach that, some it's with a, you know, a grief and a sadness, and some it's with a really fiery anger, and some are stories that will break your heart about their real lives and um, how it played out for them not having that little spirit in them, thinking they didn't have the choice and they needed the permission slip and they had to follow the script. So it's really the whole book is like going off script. But by going off script, you're going like onto your true script. And it's about women um, figuring that out in beautiful, joyful, painful, poignant ways. 
Um, Monette, let me just say, you you know, when I when you turned to the book, I could tell your voice changed a bit. So you probably moved your face and your and your mouth and your voice away from the from the mic. Um, so let's go I back did. to your sort of original position so that I can hear you a little bit clearer. We did get what you said, but I you know I want to just make sure moving forward, you know, your uh, your your voice sounds as clear as it can be. Um, so let's um, let's talk about Lilith um, and um, you know what lessons do you feel uh, she teaches us you know and and if we wanted to embody her what would that look like uh, um, I think she is a role model for how to be true to ourselves and honor our own truth. She reminds us that sacrificing ourselves to appease others is not necessary and not desirable. Um, That's a huge, powerful message that, like you said, when we were kind of going through some of the other Judeo-Christian, you know, women that are revered, you just don't get that. You, you get that um, a woman is to be selfless and um, not to get off topic, but I can't help. It's, I keep hearing the voice in my head. I just finished um, Glennon Doyle's new book, Untamed, and she makes a point in there about um, how just absurd it is that the epitome of femininity is selflessness. So if you want to be the ideal woman, you should have no self. And really, that's what most of the feminine religious paradigms would tell us about being a woman. And that's really sad. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, uh, I've interviewed women who have escaped the quiverful movement, and it's so, so, so tragic. I mean, they tell me what their life was like. I mean, they, they're basically told that their role is to have children, and they're supposed to keep having children till their body breaks, basically. And if they die in childhood, well, they were a martyr for Christ. You know, a lot of them have a slew of kids. Uh, you know, they run businesses out of their homes. Uh, you know, they don't have a lot of the conveniences in modern life, making life that much harder. Uh, it, it's amazing. You know, it's, um, it, it's, uh, it, it's servitude almost, you know. And um, I, I, I don't know, I, 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 guess I get a little angry when I think about the man who would think that's okay. Yes, I agree, which is why probably we should be um, preaching this message to men as well as women. I tend to gravitate towards taking it to women because I feel like it's a little bit it's a little bit like putting an oxygen mask on to them, so I feel like they need it first but but everyone needs um, to know that it's okay it's more than okay it's how humans were made um to be strong and regardless of your gender and men men are in boxes too so you know i don't want to say that they haven't had prescribed roles and it could actually be very freeing to a man to realize that he's actually not responsible for the women in his life they're responsible for their own damn selves Right, right. Well, and the other thing, too, is, I mean, not only do women need to hear this so that they can become whole and maybe find their authentic self, but I think they also need to hear it if they're mothers with sons or daughters, for that matter, so that they don't perpetuate this, you know, indoctrination of what the man's role is going to be or the woman's role is going to be. Um, and, and I can't imagine how hard that is. You know, I, um, uh, oh, God, I'm trying to remember the title now. I just finished a book that was on the New York Times bestseller list, and it was about a woman who escaped the Mormon church. And it was, um, 
you know, it, uh, I think it was called uneducated maybe. Um, I might be wrong. I'll have to think about it. It might come to me. But, you know, you could see how everyone sort of gets trapped in this bubble, you know, because it sometimes it's social, sometimes it becomes economic, uh, it's also spiritual, you know, maybe all your family is in it. And it's really hard to break the mold, um, I think, for yourself, uh, you, know, uh, you know, when you teach your children. Um, you know, I had one woman who I was teaching uh, Cakes for the Queen of Heaven uh, series, and at the break uh, she came to me in tears and said, you know, I know everything that's being taught here today is true, but uh, it it it's so um, it, it it's it so hurts me because I know I can't go home and change anything unless I want to topple my world, you know, unless I want to lose my husband and you know lose so many of the things that are important to me. You know, I have to just keep playing this role. And I don't know, I, I, it feels like it's important to acknowledge that, you know? No, it is, absolutely. Um, and I think that following the example of Lilith in our lives can look a lot of different ways on the outside. I mean, I think you can, you know, you don't have to do something as dramatic as, you know, fleeing your, your whole life but just to start to live as if your needs and wants were just as important as those around you. And it could be tiny baby steps of, um, you know, maybe if everyone's going to go out to eat and you always say, oh, wherever everyone else wants to go, maybe you throw your opinion in the hat and you go where you want to go that time. So I think it can seem like the Lilith story is so dramatic and she does, you know, topple her whole world and leave and go. But I think you can embody that in little ways by just refusing to sacrifice yourself in your everyday activities and everyday choices. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, and if we stopped and thought about it, uh, you know, there's so many ways. Um, I mean, I'm thinking about a woman who uh, didn't even, you know, sit at the table and eat with her family uh, until, you know, everybody got their plate at the table. And, you know, she would always eat last and she would always get what was left, basically. And, you know, mm. I don't, I, again, you know, I mean, there's no point in doing that sort of stuff or sending that kind of message uh, to your kids, uh, you know, and not to mention how it uh, it makes the woman feel, too. It makes her feel like she's less than. Absolutely. I mean, that example you gave, she literally got the leftovers, not just at the table, but yeah. in life. And she was, like you said, you can say, even if she were saying the right things to her kids, they're going to pick up on how she's living how life plays out in her house, that's what they're going to pick up on. That's the message they're going to internalize and take with them and think, like you said, that's, they're going to think that's what they deserve too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, well, Monette, we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, we're about at the half hour, give or take. And um, when we come back, um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, resources uh, that maybe uh, can be explored uh, to learn more about Lilith. Um, I want to learn, um, you know, what you think we can, what lessons from Lilith we can use today. And, um, you know, s sort of, uh, uh, you know, Fill, uh, fill listeners in a little bit more, um, you know, maybe on, um, you know, making this more practical, you know, take it out of the academic or the mythological, um, you know, maybe equate it to the Me Too movement, um, you know, um, so, so we'll do that when we get back, but uh, for listeners, uh, right now we're going to uh, hear a word uh, from Joe Carson, um, here we go. Oh, my day, the ultimate. 
Hello. Let me say a few things about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of Earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. Here is what Drusilla Pettibone said on Dearmist.com. I was truly touched and even awed by the film. I don't think I can comment on it adequately until I've had a chance to watch it a couple more times. I really appreciate that there is so much substantive information to digest. For example, the info about hinges and tracing the horizon line is all new to me and totally fascinating. The film was obviously very beautiful and I was amazed how it was able to capture so many of the descriptions visually and seamlessly connect vintage footage with modern. I especially loved when images were dynamically superimposed on each other, like the lace with the water and the dancing in the flowering meadow. A visual feast and with so many layers. I am also so pleased to have been introduced to Monica Shu and her work. It's so important for pagans to become aware of our heritage. It seems easily lost among so many new books, and the film really brought me home in a new way. Dancing with Gaia is available at dancingwithgaia.com. Uh, film and um, uh, a mini booklet, a uh, mini book that comes with it, and uh, that's all at uh, dancingwithgaia.com by Joe Carson, dancingwithgaia.com. Uh, and just uh, before we get back to Monette Chilson and um, in Lilith, uh, because our schedule uh, is changing this month, uh, I just want to give you a heads up uh, that the next show is going to be Friday the 10th, and I'm going to be interviewing Nicholas Pearson. Uh, he's written a book called Crystal Basics. We're going to be talking about crystals and uh, also stones of the goddess. Um, I have my show on the 12th, uh, Easter Sunday. It's actually an Easter special uh, about balance in all things. Um, I'll be sharing some inspiration from my book, uh, Goddess Calling, as well as a meditation. Uh, then on the 19th, um, Norman DeEllis is with me. Uh, she has a new book out, a, a Hieroglyphic uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, hieroglyphic words of power. We're going to be talking about uh, hieroglyphs uh, in magic as uh, using them in oracles and dreams. And finally, what I'm most excited about this month uh, is uh, on Saturday and Sunday, the 25th and the 26th, I'm going to have a double header uh, with Laura Perry. Uh, we're going to be talking about all aspects of trance and journeying and um, um, uh, you know, doing that kind of channeling work on Saturday the 25th. We're going to uh, sort of take it from the from the top. Um, it's going to be the hidden depths of the human mind. And then on Sunday, we're going to be talking about trance and trance possession and the pagan spiritual practice. So we have some great stuff uh, coming up later in the month. Uh, but like I said, it's usually going to be on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. So um, if you've been looking for us on Wednesday, uh, that will not be the case, uh, at least for April and into May. So uh, let me turn my attention back to um, Monette uh, Chilson, uh, author of Original Resistance, Reclaiming Lilith, Reclaiming Ourselves. Uh, Monette, um, tell me uh, you know, about Lilith in terms of her relevance today. Um, you, know, you know, what dots do we need to connect? I think we've been seeing Lilith kind of pop up on a cultural level with lots of the movements that are toppling the way things have been and the way things have been for a long time. The Me Too movement, time's up. Women literally saying, time's up. I'm done. We're not doing this anymore. Um, so that's kind of the macro level we see things like that and the more we see them 
it's kind of like you have to see something to be able to envision it in your own life. The more we see that, the more we will see that because people have kind of a blueprint or a template. Um, They've seen it done. They know it can be done. It's easier to uh, have kind of like a rebelliousness in your own soul when you've seen it played out and you've seen it it, um, not be shot down and actually make a change and and change institutions. So there's that um, kind of on the big level. And um, I guess on a, a personal, a more personal level, I think um, we're kind of at a time now where we can be still and quiet and discern who we really are. And we don't often think of that still quiet with Lilith because she's so um, bold and defiant. But I think that this is a good time to, um, to question. Sometimes when people say, where do I start um, in reclaiming Lilith? Well, you start where you are. And if you're asking that question, where do I start? You've really already started. Um, And it's just looking at the things that underlie your life, that guide your decisions and um, shape who you are. And are they they real and true to who you really are? Like, are you really – are you being yourself? Are you being – who others think you should be. And I just think this is a great opportunity right now to um, take the time, go inside, and and look at some of that stuff. And that's a quiet, still practice that can lead you to, um, to reclaiming that strong, vibrant part of yourself that maybe you've lost sight of. Yeah, yeah, um, and you know, and, and obviously, I mean, the uh, the anthology, and, and let me give the title again. I, I love it. Original resistance. Um, you know, as a social justice activist myself, I mean, this really speaks to me. You know, original resistance, reclaiming Lilith, reclaiming ourselves. You know, I almost feel Monette, and you know, not that. Uh, you know, men, uh, you know, don't have enough privilege in the society. I'm not saying that. But, um, you know, my mantra lately, uh, you know, I've been on this kick for about a year, is that we have, all of us, men and women, we have normalized so much abuse and exploitation uh, as workers in the workforce, uh, you know, we're there. There's, I mean, it's everywhere. We've normalized it so much. You know, we say it's things to ourselves like, "Well, this is just the way things are." You know, to sort of rationalize it away. I almost feel like, um, you know, Lilith can benefit men as well too. I mean, is that is that going a little bit too far? No, not at all. I mean, I think it kind of recognizing Lilith and having her become a part of this equation again is a win-win for everybody. Um, Because really it just allows the full personhood of women to come forth, which will make a more beautiful uh, culture, more beautiful families, more beautiful relationships, because you'll be dealing with two full people instead of one who's trying to do what the other one wants her to do. Um, I don't have the children's book in front of me right now, but I'll see if I can remember. I wrote a line in there about um, not wanting, this is Lilith talking in the book, saying not wanting someone who wants what's best for me all the time, but just someone to be a partner in life, something like that. I. I wish I had it because I wrote it more eloquently. But um, but it's, I think it's refreshing for everyone to uh, be in partnership rather than hierarchy, especially in interpersonal relationships. Yeah, because someone always has someone over them, you know. 
uh, you know, there's always this power over thing happening. I think even if even if you're a guy, um, and you know, I, I just had this idea: if we were going to write some commandments of Lilith, one of them would have to be thou thou shalt be no NDAs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I loved it when um, Elizabeth Warren came out and said those non-disclosure agreements, these NDAs, are just a tool of, of evil people to be able to cover up their evil deeds, something like that. I mean, I'm, I'm badly paraphrasing, but that was the gist of it. And I can't imagine um, Lilith allowing NDAs. <laughs> you are absolutely right. Yep. Yep. So, um, so obviously the the anthology is a great place to start. Um, you know, would you call it even a self help guide? I mean, is is that um, you know, would that be a good description for the uh, you know of the anthology? Um, I think it does help us with our sense of self, but it's not if you're expecting a chapter on, you know, developing your voice and developing this and how to do this. It's not that. It is really quite a poetic collection. Um, it's a pretty even mix between actual poetry, some very short, a few lines, some pages and pages. Um, there's some art in there. But every piece is designed to awaken a part of you that maybe you had forgotten or you had been afraid to acknowledge. Uh, one thing um, we did do that makes it a little more accessible, um, and this was something that uh, Trista as a girl god hadn't done with other books, but I felt really strongly that I wanted people to be able to work through this in a more concise way than just reading it all and thinking about it. So I actually put together a curriculum where I do walk you through questions and um, ways you can integrate some of the learning. I, I take different pieces from it and group reading together and have you read that and answer questions. And um, ideally, I mean, you can do it yourself and just kind of process it, but really the magic I found is in doing it in community and we've actually had Lilith circles, which is what I call this curriculum springing up. I think Trista the other day sent me something. There's a Facebook group in some other state. I'm not, I don't even remember for Lilith circles. And I put the curriculum on my website right now. It's free. We're just letting people use it. And we're, we're thinking about, incorporating that into a, a companion guide for people. But right now, you know, you can take it in your existing women's group or friend group. You can actually work through this in communities, which is really beautiful because sometimes very powerful, raw realizations come up and you've got people there then to process that with. So, so where, where does one find that now again, Monette? That is on my website. So that's at monettechilson.com. Okay. And now tell me about My Name is Lilith. Is that the children's book that you've mentioned a couple times but we didn't talk a lot about? The children's book that came out first. Um, there's an artist that has illustrated several of the Girl God books, Arna Bart. She's brilliant. She's in Australia. And she, there's an illustration on every page of that book. And it really just unpacks the story in a really beautiful, simple way. So it's, it's technically a children's book, but I will say that I often read it at the beginning of a talk. And, you know, it's a fairly short book because it really takes you right into that story and lets you understand the distortions. Um, that have happened between that story and then our understanding of femininity and its origins. And I was actually yeah. on a call. Uh, I was on a call about a week ago with a group, um, the Revelation Project, and I was just kind of 
talking to their their women's group and I they had asked me to do a meditation I had written this one you know kind of what I thought I should say and then we got to the end and I said you know guys I feel like I need to just read you the story like read it to your inner child and they loved that I said everyone get your blankets get comfy we're gonna have story time and I read it and it was just so lovely um because so many of us didn't hear those messages when we were children, and it's not too late now to, like, reparent and tell ourselves new stories. Absolutely. I love that. Uh, yeah, I've seen uh, the Girl Guide series, and uh, it's it's just it, it's an incredible series. Um, I mean, if listeners have not looked into that yet, uh, please do. And uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Monette, um, but uh, you know, if they go directly to the Girl Guide series website and uh, and buy the books, uh, I think um, you know that uh, you know that's better than buying them on Amazon or. Are they even available on Amazon? I'm not even sure if I if I know anymore. They are on Amazon, but yes, it's always preferable to buy them directly from thegirlgod.com. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, um, what other embodiments of, uh, of 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 the sacred feminine uh, interest you? You know, from from your perspective. Um, you know anything beyond um, Lilith, and and I should, and I guess you know I should have asked you this first. Do you come from a Judeo-Christian background? I do. I come from a Christian background. I I jokingly call myself a recovering Baptist. Um, I grew <laughs> up, yeah. I grew up in South Texas, small Southern Baptist church. Um, you know, it was just such an ironic thing because dancing, dancing was considered, you know, horrible and a sin. And my mom was a dance teacher, which is hilarious. Um, and just, there were so many inconsistencies, the things I would hear there, you know, I'd filter them into my brain and they didn't mesh with like my soul. My soul was like, nope, that's not it. Nope, that's not it. So I spent a long time trying to reconcile that and um, trying to like kind of make it work. When I first started doing yoga, I, I kind of took the, the bent of, okay, I'm going to reconcile yoga with the spirituality I learned in the Baptist church, and I'm going to make it all work. And I would do things like, you know, read by, I was kind of teaching, I was teaching some yoga at the time. This was about 20, 25 years ago. Um, I would pick a Bible verse and then do a pose that went with that. And it was just all about trying to make it work because that's just where I was right then at at that point in my life. Um, And then later on I moved on and um, started just listening to that inner voice. And that's when I I wrote my first book, um, which is Sophia Rising. And Sophia, of course, is just our inner wisdom. And I love how – Again, it's kind of like Lilith. Like, Sophia's kind of hidden in the Bible. You know, she's called in the translations we usually read, she's Lady Wisdom, which to me sounds like, you know, the fortune teller on Scooby-Doo or something. Lady Wisdom. Um, And I just thought Sophia. Sophia sounded so um, right to me and like something that was inside me already, uh, that knowing. And um, so Sophia ended up being a big part of that book. And that was my, my first way of talking about God in the feminine and calling God she and daring to do that. And I did a lot of work in that book um, because there was a lot of people I encountered that, um, you know, I'm from Texas and in the Bible Belt, preachers still will say things from the pulpit about yoga being evil and don't open yourself up to this and, you know, be careful of that. And I was trying to help people reconcile that again. I kept trying to help them reconcile that. But in the process, I really took a critical look at the way women's stories were told 
in the Bible, if that's the text you're going from, you know, if you're using that as your springboard. And I did a really interesting linguistic analysis of the pronouns used in the Bible, because I would hear a lot of people say, oh, I don't have a problem with God as he, it's not a big deal. Like it doesn't skew my perspective of me. And I, you know, I have my master's in communications and I've done a lot of work on deconstructing things. And I knew that if I really looked at the words in the Bible, it would tell a different story. And I, again, I don't have that book open in front of me, but I do remember when I looked at the he versus she and the mother versus father, and I did several different pronouns like that. And the most astounding was actually the possessive pronouns, the his and hers, which of course, you know, imply ownership of oneself. And I think that his was used 5,056 times and hers was used 47 times. So there you go. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. there's really no arguing but, with um, that. Yeah. Why? Why am I not surprised? Um, you know, she she only has uh, you know possession uh, of something those those few times. And girlfriend, um, you know, I don't know whether you've ever heard me refer to myself in my pre-goddess days, but I was a recovering Catholic from Louisiana, so we were neighbors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, so Monette, what about um, what about Mary Magdalene? Um, you know, did she fit into this? Um, you know, this this early journey for you? Um, you know, when you're finding the feminine face of God. I did read a lot about Mary Magdalene. I think I've read three kind of novels about her that are kind of historical fiction, which are really beautiful because they're immersive. And it kind of puts you into the story. And I think she is definitely one of those women who's been maligned to serve the purposes of the culture and the religion. Uh, you know, the church needed her to be the fallen woman. They, they did not, it did not serve their purpose for her to be Jesus's companion. And, I mean, I'm, I'm most excited about a book that's coming out. I don't even know if it's technically about Mary Magdalene, but my favorite favorite author of all time ever is Seamont Kidd, and she has a new book com- coming out called Belonging, and um, it's about Jesus's wife. I don't know if she based it on Mary Magdalene, but I am super excited about that. And while I since I brought up Seamont Kidd, I have to tell you one of the most exciting. Um, moments for me in the process of publishing Original Resistance was Seamont Kid actually endorsed the book. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. Congratulations. That's wonderful. I have been trying to get her on the show for years, and I can never get past any of her publicists. Uh, you know, and yeah, I that that new book of hers, uh, that's definitely going to be on my, uh, you know, bedside table as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So, Monette, um, before we go, um, you know, we're going through these challenging times right now. I mean, uh, it's, uh, you know, none of us know what's on the other side of the hill. Um, do you think, you know, Lilith as a deity archetype or ideal, um, you know, offer, offers us any lessons, direction, um, you know, that uh, can help us through this? I do. I think I think we were plunged into this, you know, not by choice, but I think we can definitely make it a time to kind of incubate those parts of us, those tender parts that we didn't know what to do with before. And I think we can um, leave this time with a truer vision and maybe more on a path that's aligned with who we want to be following that, you know, that, that true next right thing for us instead of 
what we should do and what, you know, so-and-so expects us to do and what they expect us to do. It's kind of like, you know, we're a snow globe. And we just got turned upside down. The whole whole world, we're all, you know, shaken up. And we have the gift of getting to realign when things settle. So we can realign, you know, more, be brave, more like Lilith, and and do the right thing for us instead of the thing we should do. And I don't know how we're doing on time, but I had thought one of the things I've done in this little, you know, respite we've had, I listened to a, a meditation by Elizabeth Gilbert the other day, and she suggested writing a love letter to yourself. And although we don't always think of Lilith as like the soft love letter type, I think if you sit down and write a love letter to yourself, it enables you to connect, reconnect, remember that true self, that Lilith self that may have been eclipsed by the shoulds and the have tos um, that we don't have right now. So I thought if we could maybe end and I could just read my little love letter that I wrote to myself and maybe inspire someone to sit down and write one to themselves. Sure. I, I think that's a wonderful way to close the show. And uh, we do, uh, we still have a bit of time, so you don't have to worry that, you know, we're going to get cut off. And, uh, you know, I just want to say I really like that advice, especially, you know, we forget that the election is coming up in November as well. And, um, you know, I, I know a lot of, you know, I, I'm, look, everybody who listens to my show knows I'm a Bernie supporter. And I've been feeling like, you know, uh, uh, the Democratic Party wants us to sort of throw our idealism and what we really want for ourselves out the window and settle for, you know, good old Papa Joe. And uh, I don't know. I'm not sure, you know, the Lilith in us would tell us to settle. <laughs> but anyway, that's just, Lilith, uh, you know, that's just my my politics. Well, for sure, Lilith would never tell us to settle. That she would tell us to be true to ourselves. That's like the overarching message. You know, regardless of what the fallout is, be true to yourself. Okay. Well, let's let's hear your love letter, Monette. All right. You are wise. Everything you need to make decisions is inside you. Stop looking for approval, permission, and blessings outside yourself. You are enough. You do enough. You have enough. Stop striving and rest in my knowing and let it penetrate the fears and become your own. For this is your birthright. It does not need to be won or earned. It simply is. Trust yourself. Trust me. Divinity flows through you when you stop fighting the current. You are loved. You are held. Breathe deeply and inhale your belovedness. It is here always. Remember it. Reclaim it. Follow it, for it will lead you back to me. Mm, blessed be. Blessed be. Uh, that that is so powerful. I, I have to tell you, it brought tears to my eyes. It's it's lovely. Um, you know, I hope you publish that somewhere. Uh, you know, it it feels like it could be, a, you know, a rallying cry for every woman out there. Oh, thank you, Karen. Well, um, you know, that about does it for us, Monette. Uh, but, I, uh, you know, if there was uh, any last words you want to say to listeners, um, you know, before we part tonight, um, you know, please please feel free, even if it's just to mention your websites. Um, yeah. I mean, visit me on my website, MonetteChilson.com and TheGirlGod.com. Um, Take this time, tune into yourself, listen, trust, uh, and don't be afraid to act on the new information that you get in this quiet. 
sounds like a sounds like a plan. And uh, I hope uh, listeners out there will uh, take take the link from this show and uh, share it around their Facebook pages and. Uh, uh, you know, all of their groups, uh, you know, their women friends and their woke men friends. And, um, you, know, uh, you know, we have to be here for each other like we're hearing today on the news. And I think uh, reclaiming Lilith and reclaiming ourselves is, uh, uh, is, is a way to do that. Thank you, Monette. Uh, thank you so much for the anthology and for your time today. And uh, please do stay in touch. I will, definitely. Thank you, Karen. Oh, thank you, too. Thank you so very much. Um, Okay, listeners, uh, that about does it uh, for us today. Um, It's about time for me to go watch The Walking Dead. And uh, unfortunately, Outlander is not on today. Boo-hoo, hiss. Um, If you're an (laughs) Outlander fan, I can't believe Roger. Did he really die, or are they tricking us? I mean, it just doesn't make sense because Roger lives on in the book. So anyway, (laughs) Uh, my big concern, is Roger really dead or alive? (laughs) So anyway, um, that about does it for me today. Uh, As I said at the top of the show, Please don't, please don't be afraid. Uh, we have nothing to be afraid of. This is all going to work out. And, um, you know, I am happy to hear from you if anyone wants to get in touch with me. Uh, it's uh, KarenTate108 at Yahoo.com. Uh, you can also write me through my website, uh, KarenTate.net. Uh, I am open to show ideas and guest ideas. Um, you know, you guys out there, uh, guys and gals, are the gas in my tank. So I appreciate hearing from you, uh, especially now, um, as, as several of you have written to me saying that the show is keeping you sane. Um, I get that. I'm tired of watching virus stuff on television as well. So um, there's years of interviews here in the archives. Uh, it, they're still so very relevant. Um, you know, we're not where we need to be yet. So all that wisdom is still there uh, showing us a path forward. All right. So uh, next time I will be on the air uh, this month. Again, uh, just a reminder, is Friday. Uh, Friday, then next uh, Sunday. But you know, you don't have to remember this kind of stuff. If you go to the follow button on the show page, click that button, and you will get a reminder in your email inbox of the, the, the next show that's coming up. And that's really the easiest way to do it. All right. Well, good night, and have a wonderful week. And Monette, again, uh, thank you so much for um, you know, your time and your wisdom. Oh, it was a pleasure. All right, then. Good night, and uh, until we meet again, may Isis embrace you in her golden wings. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.